0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Believe in Chef special on the Lee Podcast Network. I'm your host, Patrick Honeywell. Today's guest, Stephanie Banyas, is a kind of Jane of all trades in the culinary world. Recipe developer, pastry chef, culinary instructor, cookbook author, and consultant. She was the right hand to one of this country's most successful chefs for almost 25 years, Bobby Flay, before she decided to leave that job and her home in New York City to move to Bozeman, Montana to work for herself. So why Bozeman?
1: Well, you won't be the first person to ask me that question. And if I had a dime for every time somebody said Bozeman from New York, I'd be super wealthy.
0: Hey, Stephanie, how are you? Thanks for joining me on the show today.
1: Hi, Patrick. Great to
0: be here. Thanks for having me. Well, hold on. Wait a minute now. You're in Bozeman, Montana, correct? That's right. New York City to Bozeman, Montana. What the heck is going on here? (laughs) That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, I know you have uh, a cool story behind all of that, but um, that's that's a big move. So I want to go over that with you, Stephanie. But first, you have such a great history and so much uh, has happened in your life prior to making the decision to go to Bozeman. Can you walk us through your history a little bit? Um, You know, how you went from fashion to food? Let's start with that.
1: Um, Sure, well, you won't be the first person to ask me that question. And if I had a dime for every time somebody said, Bozeman from New York, (laughs) I'd be super wealthy. But um, yeah, just to give you a brief background. um, You know, I moved to New York City, uh, I guess about, about 30 years ago. And um, wanted to get into the fashion industry, had gone to college in Chicago, and got to New York and got a job um, with a moderate priced Missy sportswear um, maker in the heart of the Garmin Center, a huge office, a multi-million dollar, $100 million company, and soon realized after arriving and starting at the company that I'd made a huge mistake and that that 's probably not the industry that I wanted to be in it just wasn 't for me um, you know I'd worked in fashion in Chicago. It was a whole other ball game you 're getting into the garmin center in new york city it, it's just it just wasn 't me i 'm just going to leave it at that. so you know the great thing that came out of that job is that I met a woman while I was there who was a huge foodie like myself, and you know this is like thirty some years ago when that term really wasn 't even known. Um, And when you said it, people don't really understand what it meant. And I just always loved food and was always interested in it. And we were always chatting about like what we had for dinner, or where new restaurant we were eating at, or what she made her husband that week. She was always bringing in treats to the office. And one day she said to me, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but there's culinary school in New York City called the French Culinary Institute, and they do classes on the weekends. It's a school for students, but on the weekends, they open it up to like Um, you know, people who aren't in school that just want to do something extracurricular. um, Would you like to go with me one weekend? And I was just like, okay. I'm like, I don't even understand what that is. Like, I've never even heard of cooking school before. Um, But yeah, I mean, I love cooking. I think it would be super interesting. So she and I went and I took a course called um, Bistro Soups. And I remember it like it was yesterday. I walked into this huge professional kitchen down in Soho is where the school was. And, you know, we had all these French chefs with their totes on. And um, I learned how to make French onion soup and uh, French vegetable soup with pisto and so on and so forth. And I just loved it.
0: Do you remember the first soup you ever made coming out of school for someone?
1: first soup I ever made coming out of school for someone? No, I don't.
0: Oh, never mind. Let's get back to that. uh, Let's get back to the French onion. Let's get (laughs) back to the chefs with the totes on. Uh I don't
1: don't remember that, but um, I may have made just one because, you know, obviously we were sent home with the recipes. And I think the other one was one was a creamed based soup one was the vegetable soup and one was the French onion soup. I'm trying to remember what the cream But I'm, Oh, it was a lobster bisque. It was lobster bisque, obviously. Um, so I'm going to say that I probably made... Which because I'm pretty much a vegetarian most of the time in my life, I probably would have made the vegetable soup more so than not. It's something I still to this day just whip up because it's so, it's so easy. But anyhow, to make a long story short... Um, I looked into their programs and, and found out that they offer a course certificate program. It was either a nine-month or six-month course. And I was really disliking my job, as I said, in the um, fashion world. And I said to myself, you know what? I think I'm going to take a year off school. I mean, take a year off work and just go and take this course. I don't know why. I can't remember what exactly made me think that. I could go into a career in food. Um, but You I, love
0: food. Yeah, you have a passion but, for food and you thought this this could be it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I wish I could take myself back to that time when it was all going down and just remember every specific detail. But I signed up. I began that fall in September. I went to the night class, which were what luckily I decided to do because it was all a bunch of students like myself. We were all older and professionals. I mean, everybody in my class, was probably between like 28 and 45 years old. They were doctors and lawyers and writers. and They were just people who had always had a passion for food and wanted to learn how to do it properly. Not everybody in the class was thinking about going into the profession um, you know, when they graduated, but they'd always wanted to just learn how to cook properly and the knife skills and all that stuff. I was, I think, 29 at the time. So I'll say I was 29. And um, I thought for sure, yes, I was going to go work in restaurants because I'd really fallen in love with fine restaurants in Chicago when I was there in college. And then, of course, when I moved to New York City, I was trying every single new restaurant there was and following all the chefs and their careers and stuff like that. So I... Went to um, class at night. It was three nights a week for, I think, six hours a night. And during the day, they, um, they didn't require you, but it was suggested that you should try to get a stage in a restaurant. And for those who don't know what that word means, it's an unpa- it was at that time an unpaid externship, internship in a kitchen um, where you got to... You know, learn from the chefs. and It could be anywhere. It could have been a magazine at that time. It could have been a restaurant. It could have been a bakery. I chose a bakery because I knew that I was always interested in pastry. And pastry only made up about a sixth of the curriculum um, at the French Culinary Institute. So while we covered all the basics, it wasn't a long portion of the class um, or the certificate. So I really felt like I wanted to learn more. So I Went to school at night and a couple of days, I think probably three days a week, um, I worked in a really cute bakery down in the village in New York City.
0: Sounds nice. Sounds nice. Now, did you tr- eventually move over to the hot kitchens of a restaurant and, and where you thought, what the heck am I doing here?
1: Yeah. Well, well you know, the funny thing is, is that our um, instructors, our chef instructors would say to us all the time, almost on a daily basis, you know. Being in cooking school is nothing like working in a real professional kitchen, just so you know. So don't get used to these large kitchens with air conditionings and moving at a slow rate and only cooking for a few people. Um, in the real world, in a kitchen, it's nothing like this and it's much harder and you'll find that out quickly. And you think to yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah. How terrible I mean, whatever, be, right? Yeah. And yes, I graduated. I went to work in a top restaurant in New York City um, in the pastry department. And soon realized that what they were saying was absolutely true. And for me, it was a nightmare. I you know, had come from working in the corporate world where you work five days a week in beautiful offices and you get paid a really good salary and you have healthcare and you have paid vacation. You have holidays off. And the next thing you know, I'm working in a kitchen six days a week, 12 hours a day. 12 hours. For no money at all, no health insurance until you're there for six months and no vacation until you're there for six months. So how
0: long did you stay, Stephanie? I mean, did you stay for a while or did you say no way did you get out quick? (laughs) Because you said, I know this isn't going to work for me. Oh my gosh.
1: Well, funny. (laughs) yes. I mean, I would like to say, oh, I stuck it out for six months. I, I stuck it out for two months and I just said, to myself. And not to mention, it was in the middle of summer in New York City. So here I am in the months of July and August, working in a restaurant that was probably 100 degrees. <laughs> Unless you really work for a super fancy restaurant, um, or you were working in a hotel, especially we're talking about the 90s, you know, mid 90s in New York City. Um no restaurants had air conditioning. Everything was small. I had literally—I don't know—maybe a three by three corner, where you know, down. Well, I worked in the basement. I did all the prep in the basement of an eighteen, like nineties building. So you can imagine how lovely that was. So, but down, it sounds cool too. Well, <laughs> it wasn't. Amazing. It wasn't cool. It <coughs> oh, was. it's warm, <laughs> hot, awful, terrible. It wasn't sorry, cool, cold, or cool. <laughs> um, it was hot and dingy and horrible. So I was down there working for about from 2 till 5.30. And then at 5.30, I went up um, and started service. And, it, and the service was pre-post-theater because it was across the street from Lincoln Center. Um, so meaning like we had to get people in and out super fast for pre-theater for Lincoln Center. Then we would have like this lull. And then when the theater let out, at 10 o'clock, people would come in for after-theater dinner, and then I would be in the kitchen until about 12.30 um, doing desserts. And after I cleaned and packed everything up, I would literally walk into my apartment about 2 o'clock in the morning.
0: How did Bobby Flay find you? Because that was a big transition.
1: Well, I found him. Actually, what happened was Bobby had you know, between me leaving the restaurant industry, I went to work for magazines, um, food magazines, um, and then on to Bobby Flay. So our good friend Tish, I actually did an internship with Tish Boyle, who was the um, editor at Chocolate Magazine. Um, I went in as an intern, and she eventually hired me um, as like an associate editor under her helping her to create the recipes and test recipes and do editorial work for the magazines. So anyhow, I was with that magazine for about a year and a half. And the thing about working for magazines is that they're super glamorous in the sense that you get to do a lot of fun things. I got to eat in great restaurants. I got to try all the pastries of all the top pastry chefs. I got to work on beautiful photo shoots. And I got sent on amazing press trips. So it's all you know, after leaving, you know, the kitchen, and walking into a job like that, I was like, oh my God, this is so wonderful. But what they don't do is pay a lot. And that's the trade-off. So when you're working in New York City, it's great that you get to go on press trips and have all these free meals, but you still ultimately have to pay your rent. And it, they just don't pay enough unless you get to be, you know, one of the editors or, you know, higher up. And, and I just, I couldn't do that. Um, so- I started. I called the French Culinary Institute and said, you know, I love my job. I said, but I just can't afford to stay here anymore. It doesn't pay enough, and it's not going to for several years. And and I don't want to have a roommate forever, and I want to be able to have my own apartment, so on and so forth. So they, Bobby Flay, had been one of the, had had been in the first graduating class of the French Culinary Institute, like years prior to me going. And the woman on the phone in the placement department just happened to say. Are you familiar with Bobby Flay? And I said, Yeah. I said, I am. Like, he had a show on Food Network, which, you know, at that time, Food Network was on at midnight a few days a week on a super high cable number. Um, this was so many years ago. Um, and I had also eaten at Mesa Grill, where he was getting lots of accolades for. He was a very hot chef at that time in New York City, very young, up and coming. Mesa Grill was one of the top restaurants in town. So I was like, Yeah, I know who he is. I'm like, I don't know him, but I know who he is. And she's like, Well, He's kind of looking for an assistant. And, you know, when I heard the term assistant, I immediately thought secretary. And I said, oh, I'm not interested in being anybody's secretary. I said, it's just not my thing. She goes, you know, it's really funny, but because it's not, he specifically says that it's not a secretarial position. It's somebody to be his right hand and help him with stuff. Do you want me to set up an interview? Interesting. And I said, okay, sure. I'm like, I will. And I remember specifically you know, having, I got called back for like three interviews. And I remember sitting across from him at the table at Mesa Grill upstairs and saying to him, if this is a secretary position, I'm not interested. And he said, I swear to you, I'm not going to give you dictation. You're not going to be typing letters. That's not what it is. I need somebody to get my life in order. My life is becoming crazy with cooking shows and I'm opening more restaurants and writing more cookbooks and I need somebody to help me with all of that. And I said, "Okay, well, I think i 'm a person, so he hired me, and that was gosh, I think thousand nine hundred and ninety six then his career started to explode soon after he you know I said like I like to tell people when I started with him, he had two restaurants and one cookbook, and when I left him, he had i don 't know and one cooking show when I left him, he had had twenty cooking shows, I think we 're up to fifteen cookbooks." Gosh. And probably seven different restaurants, um, and numerous other things. I would say the majority of my job was helping him with his television shows, helping him to create the recipes that he would make on the show. And he had numerous cooking shows. I mean, not just people know him today, more so for like Iron Chef and Beat Bobby Flay, which are not recipe-driven shows, um, in the sense of like, you know, the cooking shows that are on in the afternoon. But when he started, He had just regular cooking shows, which were like Boy Meets Grill, Boy Gets Grill, Barbecue Addiction, um, Brunch with Bobby, Hot Off the Grill. Um, We had so many different shows and he would literally tape between like 40 and 80 shows a year, which and each show required a minimum of three recipes to be made. Usually we would do between like three and five um, per show to take up, you know, a 25 minute segment. Um, not to mention cookbooks and, you know, appearances on television shows where he would do recipes like the Today Show. He was the food correspondent for the early show on CBS for 10 years. So we would go there every other Thursday and, you know, he would do a segment on, you know, some type of food reporting that included recipes. So it was just never ending recipe.
0: You were the right hand, his right hand, really, in so many, Mm -hmm. so many different areas. And you mentioned cookbooks. So there's... 14 cookbooks you co-wrote with him, uh, 10 on the New York Times bestselling list. The ones that's dear to your heart is Bobby Flay Fit. So I have a question on that book. What motivated Bobby to write it? I mean, you're a fitness person as well, right? I mean, you're really into it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I've always loved working out ever since. I mean, I grew up doing gymnastics and I think I joined my first health club when I was like 17 years old. And, you know, I've just always... I've always needed to do it for two reasons, to keep my weight down because I love to eat and I love candy and also just mentally like to let the steam off, um, start my morning off. And, you know, like I said, I would be 700 pounds if, if I didn't work out. That's just me. Unfortunately, you just
0: described awesome. me. That's why I need to yeah. talk to you more about what your <laughs> daily life, what you're doing. But that we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on.
1: Yeah. So Bobby went through the same thing. You know, he had never had a weight problem. He was always pretty thin. And then at one point in his life, like all of us, he and I are the same age. Um, he put on some weight and he wasn't happy with his appearance at all. And he said he just woke up one day and was just like, that's it. Today's the day I've had it. So he... Didn't go on when, when when we did Bobby Flay fit. It wasn't about like a diet. It was more of a lifestyle because you know he wasn't diet. He wasn't eating diet type foods. He wasn't cutting out anything that he loved in his life. He was just eating less of it and exercising more. And he kind of adapted this lifestyle, and he was. I mean, much more um, diligent about it than I could ever be. I mean, I don't have the willpower that he had when he was going through it. It was pretty incredible, and to this day, he's kept it off. I mean, he's very thin. If you see him on television now, like, and he's very strict about his eating habits and not Definitely. eating past a certain time at night, and making sure that he exercises every day. I mean, and he has a you know a schedule that
0: is absolutely crazy. That's why he needed you.
1: Right. And he always yeah needs his assistance, which he has today. But the fact is, is that, you know, like you said, he was so dedicated. No, no matter how tired he was, he got up and did the work every single day of working out. So he decided, you know, well, since I have this new lifestyle, I think we should definitely, you know, capitalize on it and do a cookbook on it. And I was like, well, I'm all for that. And it really is my favorite in the sense that like, I love all of the cookbooks that I've done with Bobby for so many different reasons. But I love Bobby Flay fit because it really allowed us to be super creative on like how we could take some classic dishes that he loved and make them a little bit more healthful. Like I said, by not adding any dietary things, keeping all the usual ingredients that he would always use in his regular meals, but trying to you know figure out a different way to make it a little bit more healthy um, and less caloric. And I think it really worked well. And it was probably one of, we also did a, a book called, um, oh, that was a grill book. Um, oh goodness, I'm, I have so many I can't remember, but it was a grill book that was also a fitness book. And that was probably my second favorite one. And it's still to this day, I think, is the best-selling of all of his cookbooks, which is amazing to me. And we actually worked with a nutritionist, Joy Bauer, who's very well known. She's on the Today Show often. And she literally worked with us. And this was before Bobby really even started losing weight. It was just something that was really hot at the moment. There were all these diet cookbooks on the market.
0: I do have Bobby Flay Fit. I picked that up. And it's got amazing recipes. And I know that you worked on them. And I have to say, I looked at page 245, New York style strawberry cheesecake. And it's a different approach to it. And it is healthy. And it's pretty cool. Um, and I think his term for it was, it's a genius recipe. Did you help with that one? I'm assuming <laughs> he said genius. Really?
1: Yeah. It, well, yeah. Well, definitely the one thing that you will always know that I worked on in his cookbooks are desserts because he can't stand doing desserts <laughs> He is like most savory chefs, um, They're either savory chefs or dessert chefs. Um, Very rarely do you find one that um, loves doing both. And when I do, I'm always so amazed and I have so much respect for them because they're completely different animals. And Bobby just does not have the patience for desserts. He never did. Uh, He loves eating them. And when he makes them, of course, they're delicious, but it's not something that he wants. So whenever we would get to a dessert chapter or a dessert project, I definitely would step in and kind of take over. But is that the one with the Greek yogurt? Yes. Yeah. That one has the yeah. Greek yogurt. Yeah.
0: It's amazing. Yeah. So it's giving me a lot of ideas for what I do, you know, cause I'm in the, in mm-hmm. the business too. So it's motivating me. It's, it's really interesting. And uh, so, yeah. And then you also did um, your own book called Treat and 50 Recipes for No Bake Marshmallow Treats.
1: And I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, wise I
0: <laughs> now you do a million different desserts from really cool simple homemade things to fancy shamancy but i mean it's pretty interesting when i think of a marshmallow treat i don't think of some of the things you have you have a salted caramel pretzel which is kind of a trendy kind of a uh, thing now and even though you wrote this a little while ago you have a brown butter vanilla bean mm-hmm. you're, you're really doing a brown butter so that's really cool And a berry cobbler, you're throwing some fruit in there. So it's quite the book.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. Again, it was um, Clarkson Potter asked me to do it. They were our editors and publishers of all of Bobby's cookbooks. So obviously I worked closely with them on all of Bobby's books. And, you know, our editor said, you know, we have an in-house project that we think might be good for you. Are you interested in it? And she knew how much that I loved Doing rice krispie treats and s'mores and fun, like type of like homey desserts that I grew up on, and I was like, oh, I'd love to do it. And again, anything that allows me to be creative to take something basic and then turn it on its head and, and do some different things. So I had a blast doing that. Do you have a favorite? Well, I mean, I think there's two just because right now I'm on such a sprinkle kit a kick. So I like the, um, like the birthday cake one with the sprinkles in it. I think that's really fun. And I also love the s'mores one just because I'm such a sport, s'mores fan and I don't know why. It's not like I grew up going to camp or spent a lot of time outdoors around campfires. But there's something about like the chocolate and the marshmallow and the graham crackers and i love the look of it and i love toasted marshmallow so much it's one of my most favorite flavorings so um i would have to say if i had to choose i love the my retake on the original where i pump up all of the marshmallow flavor and add more cuz my i think my biggest issue with just the regular rice crispy bar you know is that it was a little bit too dry. So I upped everything, the butter and the marshmallow, and then I added vanilla bean and vanilla because I love that flavor. So I love my new updated classic, and I love the s'more and the birthday cake one, but they're all great.
0: I look outside and I'm in New York City and I see this, this car packed to the brim, getting ready to drive all the way to Bozeman, and there's a Frederick George in the car with you. And that's your kitty cat, right? And that's a long drive to take a cat. Talk about that adventure a little bit, that drive.
1: Well, there's nobody that I'd rather do it with than my cat, Frederick George. He's so easy and laid back, no issues at all. Um, Even on yeah, a trip you know, that what, far? Like, I mean,
0: that's. I mean, no. I've driven with a cat before and boy, they, they go bonkers kind of, you know?
1: Now, you know, I have a, he's a red cat and it's known that red cats have a very chill personality. They're often compared to like dogs. They're very laid back and friendly. Nice. And they're usually always males. Rarely are they females. Um, and he was a neighborhood stray who I adopted. I had a house in upstate New York by Woodstock. And he just kept coming to my porch and I was like, okay, I'm taking you with me. And I've had him since he was probably about, I don't even know, maybe three months old. And um, no, you know, I remember the day. I, put, I have an Instagram account for him, um, and I and I posted the morning that we left. And that's
0: fantastic.
1: And it's him sitting in his carrier in the front seat across from me. Um, you know, with the caption, "Wherever I go, I know she goes. Wherever she goes, I know I go." So it's like he is my best friend and buddy. I love him. But yeah, you know what? I love to drive. I'd always wanted to drive cross country. I had thought about. Doing it with a friend on my way there. And I thought to myself, you know, at the last minute, I was like, you know what? I actually just need to do this by myself. This is something that I want to do. I'm making a complete change in my life. It's going to give me a lot of time to reflect and think about, you know, the last 28 years in New York City and to look forward to like the next how many every years I have left on Earth like someplace new. And we took off in September of 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. I was supposed to arrive in Bozeman that May, but obviously because of COVID, everything got pushed back. Um, So anyhow, I left. It took me three days. I stayed um, two nights in a hotel, one in Chicago and I think one in North Dakota. I drove about, I don't know, eight to 11 hours a day, I guess. Um, And it was wonderful. I mean, the weather was great. It was still, you know, fall, end of summer. And um, yeah, no issues at all. So you picked Bozeman. I fell into Bozeman. Again, things in my life always happen in the same way. Like out of the blue happenstance, not quite sure why, but they always lead me to the right place. I had about five people in my life mention Bozeman, Montana within about a two-month period, a place I had never heard of before that. And really had never been to Montana, had never heard of Bozeman, Montana, knew nothing about it. Came on a trip with a friend who was heading here, fell in love with it, had been looking to leave New York and my job um, during that time, probably about five years ago, and was trying to figure out where my next move was going to be. So I was visiting a bunch of places around the country, mostly on the East Coast, staying like Vermont, Maine, New Hampshire areas, which i had always loved um contemplating maybe heading back to chicago since i love chicago so much but then i knew i didn't want to be in a big city um fell in love with bozeman had friends already here um and that's thought well help. that's good it's a big help it's a huge help i mean i had moved to chicago i went to college with a friend from high school so that helped but moved to new york basically not knowing anyone and you know and it's it's tough like it is always nice to have um you know, a few people that you know in the town, but I just had a few. Um, I arrived, I'd bought a small place and, um, you know, Fred and I moved in and the next thing you know, I started looking for work.
0: Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see you sitting still. You're, you're so used to a packed day, you know, with everything.
1: Well, and also I couldn't. I wasn't retiring. It's not like I was in a place in my life where I could leave my job and retire and just be like, okay, I'm going to move to Bozeman and just see what I can do. I love specifically to freelance um, and to be my own boss and to just do something completely different that I had always wanted to do. It's not because, you know, Bobby and I had a falling out. We're still best of friends. Not because I didn't like him. I love him to death. I just had been working in the same job for 23 years and living in New York for 28 years. And I just didn't want to do it anymore. It's just not what I wanted to do.
0: Freelancing, I mean... That would be perfect with your background. You probably could get a lot of really interesting things happening. Uh, you're teaching uh, Montana State University, Gallatin Culinary Arts College. You have classes there. Do you want to describe those classes a little bit?
1: Yeah. I mean, here's a turn that I never thought my career would take. Um, again, fell into it. You know, I don't even remember applying for the job online, but i had seen it, you know, I guess come online for a culinary instructor. And the next thing you know, I'm being contacted by you know, the head of the department. And I was just like, gosh, I don't even remember sending my resume in for this. But yeah, I'd love to come in and talk to you. It just so happened that they were um, um, interviewing for a course called World Cuisine. And I was like, well, this is right up my alley. I mean, first of all, I've traveled. I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel a lot you know, around the country and the world. I worked for a chef who did many different types of cuisine, you know, not just, he's best known for probably regional American and American Southwest, but he also, you know, had a Spanish restaurant and Mediterranean restaurants. And, um, you know, he was moving into kind of like some South American uh, flavorings when he opened a place called Shark in Las Vegas. So I was very well-rounded in that. And I had just written a book on Southeast Asian cuisine with Leah Cohn in New York City. So I was really well-versed in that whole area of the world. So I was sitting down, I was like, gosh, you know, I would love to do this. I think that I would be really good at it. I don't know, you know, how great of a teacher I will be, but I do know that I have the background and the knowledge. And so I was hired and literally thrown into it. The semester had already started um, and they were in their third week and they literally just threw me in, like sight unseen. And I was like, okay, here I go. What had happened was, the person that they had hired to teach the course dropped out at the last minute. Like literally, like I think the semester started I don't know, let's say January 7th and January 5th, he called and said, "I, I can't do it. I'm sorry I have to back out." So they started interviewing really fast, and um, you know, the, the culinary director was teaching the class in the meantime, and then they were looking for somebody, and like I said, I just happened to show up and had the background and the resume for it and they pushed my resume through and I started and I mean it yeah i mean again never even had given it a thought to be teaching and it was something totally new it was second year students so like they had already been in the school for you know a year and a half and i just walked in and it was probably one of the most rewarding things that I've done. Um, I'm still there. I taught American Regional in the fall. And now I'm back teaching World Cuisine now.
0: Gosh, I wish I could take the class. How far is that drive from California?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it's about 14 hours. My friend lives out there. So he oh, drives it all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: No, that, it, sounds, it sounds amazing. And you have such, your credentials are huge. And like you mentioned, you've been all around the world. So you've got all kinds of background for something like this.
1: Yeah, I love it. Um, It's quite rewarding. I like working with the students. They're funny. They keep me young because most of them are, you know, from the ages of about 18 to 24 years old. So it's a whole different generation. And yeah, I like being able to show them things and teach them things um, that I've learned. And, you know, I went to culinary school too. So just applying some of that, you know, things that I learned, I mean, things are just so different today and kids are much more savvy and you know, they can watch YouTube and learn a million different things that when I was in culinary school, everything was new to me. I had never seen any of it. There really weren't any cooking shows other than Julia Child and the Galloping Gourmet. And, um, and these kids can YouTube anything and figure out how to do anything. So they're, they're much more knowledgeable um, than I was when I was in cooking school, for sure. That's not, that's not to mean that they're much more skilled. They're not, but they do have a lot of knowledge. Now let's talk about coffee. You know, the great thing about Bozeman is that there's a lot of independent... They're keeping the town pretty small and independent, which is great. I mean, nothing against larger, you know, chains like Starbucks. They all have... Everything has its place, I think, in the world. But they're trying to keep, you know, um, the town authentic and shop local and support your local stores and stuff like that. We have several really good coffee shops where they are younger people like in their 30s and 40s who started these businesses they're roasting their own coffees and they're doing a really good job and again you know last year i was you know looking around in the want ads or however you know we find our jobs today in the culinary world and came across a listing for um, a pastry chef at a little local coffee shop and i thought to myself oh my god this has my name written all over it this is what i've always wanted to do I'm not a pastry chef. I don't consider myself a pastry chef that can make beautiful plated desserts in restaurants. That's not my thing. I'm not interested in that. That's not what I like to eat either. I'm a person who's a really good baker that loves to make pastries and homey type of baked goods. Homey, delicious
0: pastry. I mean, there's nothing quite like it. Yeah, It doesn't have to look fancy to to be good.
1: Yeah. No, and I'm an American pastry person. Like, as much as I love French pastry and I love Spanish pastry and Italian pastry, I i mean, I grew up on sugary, sweet <laughs> American desserts. You know what I mean? And that's what my first love is. So um, I went and met with the owner, Kristen, and... Um, She kind of hired me on the spot. She's like, you know, I can't believe like how fortunate we are, like with your background, like we would love to have you here. And I said, I would love it. And it is just an ideal situation. It's I'm there a couple days a week. I'm changing the menu. I'm more of like a pastry consultant, pastry. Like again, not calling myself a chef, but we'll just for lack of a better word, pastry chef, pastry consultant. And I go in about three to four days a week. The little bakery, my my kitchen is right in the center of. The store, Mm -hmm. which is lovely, so people can can watch me baking. And they can also smell it, yes, which makes the store smell great. Which also makes you want to buy stuff, like when you're smelling it being freshly baked. So we do like scones and muffins and biscuits uh, in the morning, and quick breads. We always have quick breads of the day. We're doing some gluten free stuff. And then in the afternoon, lots of cookies and crostadas and things like that. So, and I'm free to do anything that I want. It's just amazing. I can say to her, I'm thinking about adding this, this, this. I need these ingredients. She's like, great. Just send me a grocery list. I'll pick them up and I'll get them for you. So she couldn't be, she and her husband own it, Ryan, and they couldn't be lovelier. They roast their own coffees there. Um, we're super busy um, in the summertime, just lines out the door, you know, because Bozeman is the hot spot right now in the world. Lots of tourists in the summer. It's a college town also. So lots of parents here for football games and stuff like that. So um, yeah, so that's another one of my jobs that I absolutely adore.
0: And you're a consultant, I believe, for um, Genuine Ice Cream. And you have a project that I think is super interesting that you're working on. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, this is something I'm super psyched about. Also, you know, I I'm not a vegan, but years ago I pretty much stopped eating meat in my personal life. I will eat it if I have to create recipes and test recipes for it, but just in my day to day life, it's not something that like I eat anymore. And I don't. While I don't ever think I could truly be a vegan, just because I love cheese and and butter so much, um, I'm. Fascinated by it. I think it's the most creative segment of the culinary world right now. I think what vegans are doing is just absolutely amazing. And I'm not talking about like meat substitute type of things. I'm talking about how they're utilizing nuts and vegetables and turning it into some of the most creative things I think in the culinary world. So a friend of mine, you know, said to me, Hey, listen, I know the owner of Genuine Ice Cream, and she is looking for somebody to help her create a vegan based for ice cream. They're getting lots of requests for it. Um, not just because of people who are vegan, but because of people who have you know, dairy allergies or dairy issues these days, so on and so forth. And she really feels like she's missing out on a lot, a huge segment of the population because uh, people are just not eating dairy right now. And I said, oh my God, this is right at my alley. So this was in the summer that she and I met and she hired me to take on this job as a consultant doing this and trying to figure out. And it's probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever done in my entire life. And, and I'm at a standstill right now. And I just, there's a link missing and I can't figure out what it is. And I've had the great opportunity to speak to people in the industry, willing to talk to me and give me some advice on it, um, which I appreciate so much. Um, but, you know, I, I had a meeting with her a couple of weeks ago and I said, Listen, there's just like, I don't know what I'm missing here, but something's missing. And it's texture, yeah, obviously, is it which is the hardest thing. I'm
0: trying to, ma- sorry, I'm trying to imagine an ice cream without everything that goes into it that is non dairy. And it's, it's amazing.
1: Well, coconut milk is the, the number one thing because it has the highest fat content, right? Oh, okay. So that's okay. what most of them are today. So while that is the easiest one, that's the one that I'm having the least problem with. The problem with coconut milk is that all of your bases taste like coconut. Now, exactly for me, that's not a problem because I love coconut. But also, there are people who don't like coconut. And secondly, there are also um, like I don't want every single one of my ice creams to to taste like coconut. Be a coconut you know, ice mean. cream. Yeah. Yeah. So no matter what you add to it, if I added I don't know caramel or chocolate or strawberry or whatever it's still going to have that underlying flavor of coconut. So the second most popular is um, almond milk, which I did not like. It's got a great texture, but I just didn't love the flavor of it. It's very expensive to make too because the nuts are so expensive. And the third most popular and the most difficult because it has the least amount of fat is oat milk. And that's the one that I'm having the most problem with, but it gives you the most neutral base so you can just pretty much add any flavor you want. So long story short, She and I had a meeting and I said, I don't know what to do. I'm feeling like I'm letting you down, but I I can't figure this out on my own. And it's so much more scientific than I think I'm qualified for. I think I need to go and take some classes somewhere with somebody who can spell this out for me. So like anything today, I Googled like ice cream classes. And of course, a million came up. (laughs) And one happened to be very close to me in Idaho. And I got the person on the phone who owns the company. And he couldn't have been nicer. I mean, if he wanted to be his name, I think it's Chad Hartley. He owns Stella's Ice Cream in Boise, Idaho. And he has a place called the Ice Cream School. And he said, I would love to teach you. You know, he told us the fees and i'm driving down in march and i and he swears to me by the time i leave i will know everything i need to know about making vegan ice cream so
0: amazing <laughs> it just sounds like you yet yeah, like you need to to somehow find a fat in there that that won't have a strong flavor that won't offset whatever else you're putting well, in there well it's
1: not the fat no huh? it's it's huh? actually a stabilizer because okay it is you know coconut oil is one of the things that does solidify and mm-hmm. that is a fat but that's not enough because it also makes the the ice cream too hard. So the issue is with the stabilizers and as you know stabilizers I don't know if you've worked with them at all but they are I mean unless you again have a food science degree mm-hmm. or just have a strong background in vegan baking um it's about finding the right one whether it be like guar gum or you know something like that and also the right amount. I literally would add a half a teaspoon, and it would turn as hard as a rock. And then I would add a quarter of a teaspoon. It would do nothing. You would add something in between and it would turn stringy. It is the most bizarre thing. It's tricky. And
0: gums are so interesting. I have a friend that's a pastry chef and he's really strong and he worked as a consultant with us. I'm going to give him a call, by the way, when we're done here. And I called him gum man. Because he used gums for <laughs> as a stabilizer, and but he has a really good background in pastry. But he has to, he had to kind of tweak recipes to include gums, you know, for different applications. So he has a lot of experience with the science side. So yeah, it's interesting.
1: Well, it's impossible not to do it, according to Chad, which I I knew too after researching for the past like four months on my own. And just reading everything I could on the subject and speaking with a few like experts in the ice cream industry, um, it's impossible because the ice cream will just freeze too hard and will never be able to be scoopable if you don't incorporate one of these stabilizers into it.
0: Stabilizers make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're also uh, doing working as a culinary director for La Cuisine.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it kind of sounds ridiculous. All these jobs that I have. Yeah, what are you doing? Funny. Come on.
0: Get back in the car about, and take a vacation.
1: <laughs> you know, I, I I remember an interview with one of my heroines in, that, in the baking industry, Dory Greenspan, and I was listening to her on a podcast a couple, I guess it was probably last year, and she had said that she never says no. She's like, her biggest advice to people is just never say no, especially because you never know what, it may sound like, oh, that's not a good job for me. No, it's probably not that interesting, but it's not so much about that, but it may be, who you will meet if you take that job and other opportunities that can open to you from that job. And one of the ones for her was she took a job that she felt like she wasn't qualified for. You know, she was like, no, I don't want to do it, decided to do it, met Julia Child. And they became super good friends and she ended up writing Julia Child's cookbooks. So it's like, okay, well.
0: Yeah. Talk. Oh, there's so many things that could happen. You could go and not like a certain aspect of of a job and then you go, oh my gosh, but I met this person or I'm, I found out this is another way of doing something I can use it the next time, you know, I do something else. And yeah, that's really cool. Also
1: when you're a freelancer, you don't know when your next job is coming. So again, as I said, I'm not independently wealthy. I, I didn't leave New York and Bobby to retire and not work. I still need to work. So again, like I never want to turn down a paid gig because like I need the money. I can use the money. It can go into savings. And again, I love all of these jobs because each one is so completely different and I'm learning so much from each one. You know, I'm continuing to learn. It's like continuing education for me, which I love.
0: And you're a freelancer. So any tips out there for people that are considering... Freelancing in, in the culinary field.
1: Well, the one tip was the one that I just said: don't turn any job down. Just take it, even if you think you're not qualified. Just show up and pretend like you are and make it work, um, because you never know what that can lead to. Also, you know, you have to be super outgoing and try to meet everybody that you can. Have a plan before you decide to leave your job and do it. You know, I had a plan. I left my job in in December of 2019, and had a bunch of internships set up uh, around the country working with people. I had a couple paid um, freelance jobs set up. And as we all know, three months later, the whole world closed down and changed. So in my instance, it was really bad timing. I didn't just leave Bobby and say, well, whatever I get, I get. I'll find something. I don't know what it was. Like I had, I you have to map out a plan. Have things set in motion and know where you're going. You can't just quit and be like, "I'll figure it out once I quit and just take some time off. It's always good to have contacts first. Um, also, just don't take no for an answer. Somebody told me that you know to never to try at least three times, like if somebody doesn't get back to you, ask them again, If they don't get back to you, ask them again, ask them three times, and then let it go. that you can't be sensitive. Um, or have hurt feelings because people are going to say no. I mean, people are going to be like, "Yeah, you know what? No, I really don't have a need for your, you know, services, or maybe I won't hire you again, or whatever." You know, it was very difficult for me because I've always worked for somebody, always. So me doing it was, it was scary. You know what I mean? Again, but I needed to push myself and do something completely different because I felt like really hadn't been pushing myself in years. So again, um, and you just have to. Don't allow yourself to goof off. Get up and keep the same schedule that you've always had. Just because you're a freelancer doesn't mean that you can sleep in until noon every day, not start working until 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, Because that gets old really fast. And also, like you start getting lazy. And the last thing you can afford to do if you're a freelancer is be lazy. So I still wake up the same time I always did for 23 years working for Bobby. I'm like up by 4.30 in the morning, 6 a.m. at the latest. I work out. I start my day. I do my stuff. Um, you know, for Rockford, I have to be there at five thirty in the morning. It's a it's a morning baking position. So three days a week, that keeps me up and out the door. Um, and also, just while you're in your current job, and if you're thinking that one day you want to be a freelancer, network as much as you possibly can. Just network and get to know as many people in the industry as you can, and then. When you're looking for a job, you have a lot of people to contact that can help you.
0: That makes good sense. So, okay, before we close here, in addition, you've got you're, you're a co-writer, ghostwriting cookbooks, recipe development for food brands. Is there anything you're working on now?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I'm, I
0: shouldn't say that because you're doing. I'll well, say yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. What else? <laughs> oh yeah, minute. yeah. yeah. That, Are you, I hope you, you have time to feed your to feed uh, Frederick George. He's home saying, "Where is she? <laughs> Come on, mom."
1: I am working on. So many things right now. But um, in the next couple of days, I'm doing um, a luncheon for somebody at La Cuisine, like a private event. Next week, I'm doing a demo um, for some paid customers on the sweeter side of brunch. So a bunch of sweet dessert things. And also starting to do some recipe development for a vegan um, hummus-based company out of Arizona. So I'm going to start that project um, this week. I'm getting the product sent to me now. and I have some ideas for Cinco de Mayo, some recipes Gosh. that... The Cinco de Mayo. Yeah.
0: Well, I was going to ask in closing, do you ever miss your old life? But I don't think you do. You've got too you know, much going
1: on. I think it's really funny. People after, you know, how did I find Bozeman from New York city? The second most question that I get is, do you miss your old life? Do you miss New York city? And I think that I don't, I can, I can say I don't, you know, I was there for 28 years. I loved every minute of New York until I didn't. And I knew that I needed to leave. I'm, my friends, I still keep in touch with. I mean, obviously, so do I miss like seeing them as often as I used to? Yes, but we still talk and text and you know, I can see them anytime. Um, but I don't miss the life I, I don't, I don't miss anything about my past life in it. and sometimes it even surprises me how often I don't even think about it. So, um, when I think, you know, when it's time for a change, it's time for a change to quote uh, Peter Brady.
0: Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> well, well, Stephanie, thank you for being on the show. It's been fantastic having you and, and, uh, what an adventure your life has been and it continues to be.
1: Oh, thanks Patrick. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: For all of you listening out there, Chef Special is part of the Bee League Podcast Network. Check it out at BeLeave.com And follow me on Instagram
1: at Patrick Honeywell. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host
0: by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Filet-O-Fish Sandwich all day.